Luck on Sunday. Brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Luck on Sunday, brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world. Good morning. Welcome to the show. The seasons may be changing, but one thing is guaranteed. We have the best of the sport and the best of chat through the next two and a half hours. Here's what's coming up. And this is the best of the sport, or at least he has been. Equinox, the brilliant winner in Dubai, the brilliant winner in midsummer. On the comeback trail this morning, in a moment, you'll find out how he got on in his last prep for the Japan Cup in the Tenno Show Autumn. Here's a man who has been performing consistently at the top level all season. And it could have been that bit better. He's been second in no fewer than 11 Group 1s. But there's still glory to be hunted for Rafe Beckett in 2023. And we'll also be looking back at yesterday's action from Cheltenham. Flooring Porter making... Quite a striking chasing debut, so much so that his new rider, Keith Donoghue, had trouble pulling him up. He's charismatic, he's quirky, but he's very talented. Could he take high rank over the bigger obstacles this season? That was the highlight of two wonderful days at Cheltenham we'll be reflecting on. We'll also be talking about Appleby striking back, as he did on Town Moor at Doncaster, with an excellent performance from Ancient Wisdom under William Buick. Godolphin's first domestic group one since their lockage success with modern games in May. Breeders' Cup will be on the mind of our studio guests, Rafe Beckett, and indeed of Charlie Appleby, but also on the minds of Simon and Ed Crisford. Ed will be joining us to talk about Algiers, this horse in the dirt mile, and Carla's Way, who will take high rank, you'd have thought, in one of the big juvenile races. He's our reigning champion in the Godolphin Thoroughbred Industry Employee Awards. Sarah Guest has had a momentous year and has flown the flag for horse racing with great distinction. Great to welcome her back to the studio with nominations for this year's event closing on November the 7th.
And a little later in the show, I'll also be joined for the first time on Luck on Sunday by former trainer and for a long time chief executive of the Thoroughbred Breeders Association, Gavin Pritchard-Gordon, a man who's had a really rich career in the sport and who has just published, or is about to publish, uh, a very interesting volume of his memoirs. He'll be joining me shortly after 11 o'clock and he has one thing in common, he might have more than one thing in common, one obvious thing in common uh, with my studio guest today, Rafe Beckett, and that they were both assistant trainers to Peter Walwyn. Rafe's here once again alongside our LOS regular David Yates. Uh, morning, gentlemen. Morning, Nick. Morning. Uh, and I reflected there, yeah, um, uh, Rafe, that it's been a, an amazing season for you, but one that you can reflect upon, I guess, with somewhat mixed emotions. Yeah, it, it's been great, Nick. You know, it's, it, I, I think we've trained far more winners than I hoped for. Uh, or, and, and, you know, the horses have run well all year, got the rub of the green. Some, on occasion, in Group 1s, it might have been different, but... Um, well, it's been a great year. And as I said, there's so many, so many seconds in Group 1 races, but I guess that means that at least you are there at the top level. Pretty much every time there's a Group 1, there's a Rafe Beckett runner in there. Yeah, and that's great. You know, if you told me 20 years ago that this is what was going to happen, I'm not sure I'd have believed you. So it's, it's, it's been a great time, yeah. Where, where did you think you were going to be? If I'd asked you 20 years ago, where are you going to be in 20 years' time? What do you think you'd have said? Good question. I remember... Uh, great pal of mine when I first started training he said and I was sort of losing the Peter Woolworth horses before I started and he said uh, it's not going to get to the point where you come down in the morning to feed the horses and there are no horses to feed is it you know mm. it was so uh, it looked like that at one at one point so listen it's been it's been a great journey and you mentioned a Peter Woolworth there because I was reminded reading Gavin Pritchard Gordon's book last night and he's on the on the show a little bit later the grounding that that you had there and what the sport looks like now are just so different the poles apart absolutely he said about me when i started training he said uh, i taught him most of what he knows but not everything he thinks he knows <laughs> which is which is uh, was pretty uh, pretty uh, prescient uh, you know he was it was a great school he gave you plenty of rope to hang yourself with and Anybody who worked for him had a great time. Who taught you everything you knew or knows? Dave? Uh, what a question. I don't know. Um, I've got very fond memories of early days of Peter Walker. Well, late days for him on the race course, but early days for me. I've just wanted to... You know, there were, as a, as a relatively young reporter, there were lots of quite austere figures that you approached with a, <laughs> a degree of trepidation, even if you were a cocky little so-and-so. But you would walk up to him and the sort of eccentric, he'd stick his face in yours and say, hello, <laughs> you know, this, is, this is very different to most of the others. <laughs> it was a real, real a pleasure and a real eye-opener to, to, you know, he, he had some, some really good horses at that time to, towards the end of his career. And uh, that was a, th those are very fond memories. Uh, was, it, was it scary for you as a, as a young reporter? In what sort of mid nine early mid nineties? Mid nineties. Mid nineties. Yeah, some of the some of the big characters you were talking about approaching them, asking for quotes, ringing them up. Was it different then to to, to now? Uh, not really. A bit, I mean, I suppose I'm more sure of myself now. There was one trainer who was really rude to me once, and I rang him up and said that the next day, and said I'm going to give you an opportunity to apologise, or I will go. <laughs> to the, the BHB. It was, a really? public, it was a public thing. I'm not going to name the trainer. 
Uh, it's still training? It, no, it was a very, very public thing. And I said, I'm going to give you this chance or my next call tomorrow. It was a Sunday, actually, Sunday morning when I rang. And I said, this is your chance or I'll ring at nine and I'll start a disciplinary thing against you. And wow. he said, I'm apologising now. Right, OK. We'll leave it there. <laughs> and, th and those, it really, that was the days before you were contactable by everyone at any time, at any point in the day. And it's a stressful job. I mean, do you just have to condition yourself now that when people like us ring you up, you just kind of, you can either just not take the call, I guess, or, but you norm pretty much always do. The ones that I really don't enjoy are the, the, are the ones from the, our trade paper wanting quotes about the next day's runners. And so I've now taken to go, right, you've got two minutes as soon as they, as soon as they ring, because otherwise it, the conversation tends to go, you know, I don't enjoy doing it, I'll do it, but, you know, you've got two lines and that's it. Because it's slight, I always slightly feel that it's us doing their job for them. Those, those pre-race quotes. Uh, I've never been comfortable with that, really. A weird thing about that, Rafe, though, is that that was one of the main reasons I left the Racing Post, was that, that there was a thing that they were t titled briefings then, when you, you rang trainers up and just had a... And it was a very um, inefficient way of using the space. Like, if you had 600 words, you could write a story leading on one thing with and maybe quote one two maybe three trainers and get it done in 45 minutes or the equivalent space ringing 10 different trainers and my my complaint about it wasn't bothering the trainers it was like well if so, no trainer is going to say yeah we've been uh, we've been holding this up all uh, all year <laughs> but we're going to make it tomorrow and you know what Tomorrow, you know, tomorrow's, to, tomorrow's the day. And so they, they, I didn't think they were useful to punters. I found them really soul-destroying because a lot of the time trainers were pretty tired of this. Because it, you're ringing up apropos of nothing except that horse is declared for the race. Like, if you, lead a, if you do a preview and you say, Dermot Weld warned punters... Uh, Tahira is two weeks short, in my opinion. Then that's they, punters can take that on board and think, right, okay. And, and it was sort of borne out by the running of the, the one thousand guineas, wasn't it? But when you ring up and you say, I just need a line on Betty's boy, who's in the the, the ten furlong listed race, the trainer thinks, well, what do you want me to say? It's, so, it's, so now you put the egg timer on. Yeah, yeah. And the, the other thing that always gets me is they ring, well, in the middle of morning training. You know, if I was a journalist, if I was had that job, I'd ring whoever I had to ring one o'clock onwards. At least then they're not they're not in the middle of training horses. I may have been known to call you many times in the middle of the morning, but you, normally, normally you answer and appear to good. be appear good. to appear to be quite quite good humoured. Good. Not everybody would say the same, but so I'm glad you think so, Nick. Well, maybe as time's gone on, I don't know. Yes, possibly. Possibly. Okay. Um, you've got a stable full of brilliant horses, but at the moment you haven't got one like this. Uh, this is the Tenno show that took place a little earlier on today. The favourite, needless to say, and a very short price favourite, was the brilliant Equinox. This is what happened. They're set. They're off and racing. Northbridge shows early pace with the deuce. Going forward is Gaia Force and swooping over Jack Dorgy. It's a real clump. Deduce gets squeezed there. Equinox into third space straight away. 
And Ishi Iguazu goes on back to Ek, then comes Danon Beluga at Mahadar, Justin Palace's second last, and Prognosis at the tail of the field. So it is Jack Dor that takes him up, fully striding. Fujioka takes him forward by about three lengths from Gaia Force. Equinox in the box seat early, running third. Back on the inside, running well is Northbridge, pulling a little bit now though. In between runners, deduce Hishi Iguazu out wide. Then comes Ek. Three wide out is at Mahadar and Danon Beluga in between runners. A gap of two lengths away to Justin Palace and Prognosis still sees them all down the back straight. The Tenno Show for 2023, the autumn variety. And in front, it's Jack Dorr. Does it his own way in front. Goes along at a nice even clip past the 1,000 metre pole. Gaia Force runs second. Two and a half lengths away, almost three lengths to Equinox. They're getting a little closer to Deuce. Hishi Iguazu's there as well, pressing forward. Losing a bit of ground, Northbridge going on as at Mahadar. Down on Beluga, saving some ground in the middle and losing ground the fence. Ector, well back is Justin Palace on its outside is Prognosis. They swing for home with 500 metres to run and it's still Jack Dorr with Gaia Vorse. Equinox still runs third. Deduce now peels out and starts to run on with Tata Tosaki. Equinox has given his head. Christophe Lemaire says go on Equinox and he finds the front and he starts to stretch away. Goes past Gaia Force. Nothing really coming on other than Prognosis out wider and also Danon Beluga. Equinox past the 200 has a winning margin. He will go on and win. It's by how much? Rattling home Justin Palace out wide and Equinox goes back to back in the Tenno show. Equinox, Justin Palace. Prognosis third, just ahead of Danon Beluga. Then back on the inside to Gaia Force. Followed by at Mahadar, Deduce knocked up in the home straight. Act well back with Hishi Iguazu. Then came on. And Equinox smashed the track record for 10 furlongs into the bargain under Christophe Lemaire, who looked understandably ecstatic at that performance, and that should have put him spot on for the Japan Cup. And you'll be able to see the Japan Cup as part of a special edition of Luck on Sunday four weeks from now, 26th of November. Christophe Lemaire aboard Equinox, winning the Tenno Show Autumn. And I can't help looking at that, Rafe, and, and think, wouldn't it have been great if Ace Impact went to the Japan Cup and took him on? Wouldn't it just? I mean, that would have been a match-up for the ages, but um, you know, can't cry over spilt milk. What yeah. is done is done. Um, when you look at him, just admiring and looking on as a, as a horse, what do you think? You finished second to him in Dubai with Westover. Yeah. I mean, he was, he's just... He's got everything, hasn't he? Relaxes, picks up. He's just a machine, isn't he? He really is. Not impressive to look at, Nick. I know, I'm sure this has been discussed before, but he's not a big horse. Quite wide through his chest, but he's not a. He's not a. You know, he's not an imposing individual mm -hmm. to look at. Um, but he's just got it all, hasn't he? And you always look at these horses, Dave, and you think, God, I'd love to. I'd love to see them taking on global opposition. We were lucky in Dubai. Perhaps we didn't realise quite how lucky we were at the time because his global reputation at that point hadn't quite been established. Yeah, and, and it's at a time when, um, of course, that's a, that's a massive meeting. We know that. But we think of it in Europe as a pretty much a precursor to what follows mm. in Europe, don't we? You know, we're expecting, we're expecting most of those horses, or at least hoping that most of those horses who star on that card, that we will see at Royal Ascot or we will see it in the Ark or something like that. And um, so that was... Uh, I think that 
that was one of the reasons it, it's quite difficult to working for a red top it's quite difficult extolling the virtues finding the balance where you can extol the virtues of what is clearly an mm -hmm. absolutely exceptional thoroughbred but one which your readers will very rarely see will hardly ever bet on yeah um, and so, what, you know, it's a bit like with Ace Impact. Ace Impact was an exceptional horse. Okay, he had only six races and two Group Ones, but it's quite hard to to grab mirror readers by the lapels on 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 Sunday, the first of October, and say, "Look at this exceptional horse," because most of them, obviously, they they don't know Ace Impact. They don't know the trainer and jockey, the owner, etc. So it's it's a it's a difficult thing to do. But I mean, you know, it was a it was a I take issue with the commentator there when he said he said um, that the jockey says go or something like that, and there didn't seem to be any appreciable movement in the rider's arms as far as I could see when when Equinox just strode to the front. But it is interesting, isn't it, what Dave was saying? Yeah, absolutely. A couple of things I'd say about this horse is, you know, given how the ground showed up on Arc Day mm. and how and the and the Japanese. Obsession with the art. I know. Do not think that they're slightly going. We could have given ourselves a chance to go there, and if it didn't work, it didn't work. That's the first thing I would say. And second thing about Ace Impact was always was a point John Hammond made in conversation was that he made his debut at Cannes in mm. January, and most John was saying that you know most of the French trainers, himself included, I think he meant, would have gone. I'm going to run him in a conditions race, and then the pre-policeman or whatever it is at the end of at the end of the winter season in Cannes. Jean-Claude Rouget knew he probably he perhaps didn't know exactly what he had before the horse made his debut, but he knew immediately afterwards, or as soon as the horse had crossed the line, and then campaigned him for the Jockey Club and 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 and, and the Arc, and that's. Quite, quite unusual to be able... I mean, you know, we know uh, Monsieur Rouget is a brilliant trainer, but I'm not sure everybody, myself included, yeah. would have recognised what uh, that, the horse he, he became at that point. Quite uh, amazing, that. Great trainer, brilliant career, and just very sad that it, uh, it ended when it did, but it was entirely understandable in many respects. Let's talk about the highlight of yesterday's racing, which was a, a delayed highlight owing to a pretty horrible incident at the stalls with a horse called Battlecry, who did eventually get up. Um, his stable companion, Diego Velasquez, trained by Aidan O'Brien, was a little disappointing in the deep ground at, at Doncaster, but his market rival certainly wasn't. That market rival was Ancient Wisdom. And this was a big strike back at Group 1 level for, for Charlie Appleby, whose two-year-olds latterly have really been flying. Uh, and this is a horse who showed a great attitude, as that picture suggests, to win the Cameco Futurity in the hands of William Buick. Uh, Dave, how important today was this for, for Godolphin and for Charlie Appleby? Absolutely massive. Um, Charlie Appleby is in Dubai at the moment, but talking to Hugh Anderson after the race, um, you can sometimes you ask, uh, particularly those who are uh, who train for for big organisations or, or big characters like Sheikh Mohammed and Godolphin. If if you if you go into a say, you know, much very uh, welcome winner given the season, they can often give you a politician's answer and say, uh, and, and not not reference, mm -hmm. not refer to the fact that, yes, it has been a disappointing season. Hugh Anderson didn't give the politician's answer, said, yeah, it's been a, 
Um, you know, it, it, it sometimes it seemed like a long season. That's the first domestic group one since modern games yeah, in, May. In, in the lock-inch and only the second. Um, a supplementary entry, the only Charlie Appleby group one two-year-old runner this season. Um, obviously on the back of a very much below expectation season. Uh, it was absolutely massive. Um, obviously, that much will be made of the of the ground conditions at Doncaster. Um, a battle cry got upset in the stalls, which I don't think did. It, I don't think it did the plan for Diego Velasquez any any good because they would have made the running yeah. and tried to make that a a, a stamina test. Um, but obviously, you know, they've got they've got plenty of other T rolls for Beckham. But but for Godolphin and for race fans as well, it's it's sometimes quite a depressing thing when you look at an odds comparison site for next year's derby and it's O'Brien, 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 O'Brien and again you're 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 trying to find interest in it yourself. Never mind trying to interest other people in it. Um and so the fact that you've got an ancient wisdom, albeit I think with question marks as to what the ground will be like at, at Epsom next June yeah. is, is a, a, a really beneficial thing and of course every every early classic next season at the moment Rafe is being seen through the prism of City of Troy <laughs> if City of Troy is there then that's where your interest is focused and everything else comes comes secondary to that how good do you think Ancient Wisdom is? I thought it was. It, I thought he must. He, first of all, he has, must have a pretty good constitution because he looked like he finished a tired horse in the autumn stakes mm. only two weeks previously they they were covered by ten lengths in that ground, that would that would uh, temper my enthusiasm for the form. You know, you would think that they'd have been more spread out if Battlecry had run, and obviously Diego Velasquez wasn't suited by that ground. He's a very good moving horse, isn't he? Mm. So who knows? But I would be I would be mad about the form. Where is the Rafe Beckett Derby horse for next year? <laughs> Well, we've got a couple of horses that uh, could come, come forward. A horse called Valvano, who won mm -hmm. at Nottingham the other day, it was quite impressive. Night of Thunder horse, right? Night of Thunder horse. But he's got quite a staying pedigree underneath. Um, a nice horse called Feigning Madness, who's still only discovering what he's about, who won under a penalty the other day. The Ulysses, is he? The Ulysses. Ulysses horse, yeah. So those would be the two at the moment. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, run a quite a nice horse. He perhaps doesn't have. He's a golden horn horse. So trained for Ammo. Called Poneros, who won at Nottingham as well the other day. Quite like him too. He may be more of a St. Ledger type. We'll see. Hopefully, one will come out of those three. Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday in the company of David Yates and trainer Rafe Beckett, who's had a fine season lying fourth in the Trainers' Championship and represented pretty much week in, week out at the top level. And that was certainly the case at Ascot last week again, Rafe, when you were second twice again, but two excellent runs with Kinross and, and Blue Stocking. Is Kinross OK? Yeah, he's fine, but he's not going to go to Hong Kong. Is he not? No. So he's now done for 2023. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, he, <clears throat> although he didn't start till uh, till uh, Royal Ascot, he's he's had six starts this this year, and he's rising seven now. 
and <clears throat> we had him checked out thoroughly uh, from a veterinary point of view after after last weekend and it was just felt that we're better off minding him now uh, he'll have a six or eight week break we'll bring him back for midsummer next year so does that mean that you just need to work harder on him just to keep him in the shape that you want to keep him in? Because as horses get a bit older, I guess the wear and tear starts to get to them a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, he's not a horse we ever do anything with, really, in the sense of, you know, he, he, he's a horse who wears his heart on his sleeve and he tells you every morning how he is. Um, so he's quite an easy horse to, to, to work out if there's an issue. And uh, as long as he comes back in the same form in the spring, we'll go again through the summer and autumn next year. So no Hong Kong for Kinross. That may mean no Hong Kong for Frankie de Tory. But I think that farewell tour <laughs> is no longer the farewell tour anyway. So the fact that he misses Australia and Hong Kong from a riding perspective potentially might actually be academic. Well, he's going to Australia, isn't he? Not yeah. to ride, but yeah. to support the event. I, I trust that the Victoria Racing Club will meet his expenses for doing so. Um, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I mean, there was there was talk there was talk at the time a few weeks ago that Mark Chan would have a couple of horses from Australia who would ah, still so run, could still go in Hong Kong, mm. and that Frankie de Tory would be would be engaged to ride those. So, what the latest with that plan is, I don't know. Uh, and as for Kinross, Wraith, I mean, it, what was surprising last week was that he got there to win and he didn't win. Because normally when he gets there to win, he wins. I think the way the race was run counted against us. Um, Tim Easterby's horse got a perfect ride right from the right draw, was able to roll along, mm. dictate his own fractions, and Kinross had to go looking for him having had to go looking for cover through the first furlong. And I think the combination of the two, interesting on the sectionals, he actually ran the final furlong quicker than the winner. Yeah. But it wasn't good enough. Uh, is there a horse you've in enjoyed, I don't know if that's the right word, training more than him? No, in short. Somebody asked me if uh, the other day if, if I ever got close to the horses. He's the horse that I would... I would, you know, I would pick out over the last 20 years for lots of reasons. You know, I trained most of his family as well. And because it wasn't an easy ride, you'll remember mm. he burst onto the scene as a two-year-old and then it didn't quite happen at three. And then you gelded him. And then we gelded him and then he was the horse he, he became. Um, so, yes, uh, when, he, when he's finished, I will miss him on more than one level. I still, I will never get out of my head the, the image of you at Keeneland last year saddling him whilst he did however many revolutions of a tree in the paddock and you walked and walked and walked and you had to saddle him on the move, which I know you do, but whereas you can do it quietly in, in the UK and France, quite out of everyone's gaze there, everyone's watching you as you're getting more and more flustered trying to get this, this saddle on. I'm, I thought that's real love. <laughs> that's real love. <laughs> One man to his horse. It's the only way to deal with him. He gets in a real strop if you don't do it that way. And the, so it, it, we, I'm better at it now, but, the, but uh, Josie Mansell, who looks after him, what, what I find myself doing is running into the back of her all the time. And, you know, as I get older, I find it harder to do as well. If you're on the outside of him, 
poor Emma Wilkinson, has, who's only five foot, has to run along next to him, getting 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 it all in place. So it's not it's not easy, but it's what works for him. So, and it's been worth it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, should we talk about blue stocking last week as well? Um, we were talking about whether maybe if it had been on the outer track, she might have won. What's going to be the key to her? How are you going to get everything to click? I think headgear, ground and riding her patiently are the three. If we get all three of those things right, then it'll happen. Um, because because she you know in our, when she went when she when she was hit the front of the Irish Oaks we didn't know as much about her then. This is the thing with you know you, you with the classic generation of horses you have so little time to work out what they require. She only had one the one start at, at two at Salisbury when she won her maiden and then wasn't quite right in the spring. Uh, we had to take our time. Um, she ran the Newbury Oaks trial and then. Uh, wasn't ready for wasn't ready for um, uh, for the Oaks, the Ribblesdale ground possibly quicker than she liked, but she finished well. Um, and today, I th- uh, rather last week, I felt we've got all our ducks in a row. It just the the way the race was run played against us. It was Harry, it was Barry um, Mann's idea to put uh, cheek pieces on her, and I think that was a significant. Um, piece of the jigsaw I think that made a significant difference to her last week you could see she's still lugging in a little bit right in the closing stages and I wouldn't rule out blinkers next year for that reason Okay, so she'll be back next year obviously we know that Westover won't be back next year no plans for him as yet Uh, but he he must have been um, a great source of pleasure and sometimes a a source of frustration for you do you feel that not having him to go on with is the one that got away. Yeah, I think that's probably the, bit, the, the the frustrating bit. I don't feel frustrated by his year, really. Oh, he's had a great year. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, just I that you can't before. put the cherry on the cake, can you? That's the problem. You know, some years he'd have won the arc, wouldn't he? You know, mm. that's purely on the, on ratings. Uh, you know, it's, it is it is what it is. What I was really proud of this year was that was that uh, he did it every start from the end of March through to the beginning of October he didn't miss a beat and he was fantastically consistent and uh, and and uh, that's the bit that uh, I'll remember so you are headed to California even though Kinross doesn't go there uh, state occasion does and you've got Starlust on the plane as well did she get on the plane yeah yeah Starlust, um, Jim Hay and Alex Cole were really keen to run him, and he's a tough beggar, so it won't. It will be. It's the right. It's the right fit for him. If we get a draw, uh, I can see him being competitive. Um, we'll do some stall, some gate work out there, and uh, see how they go. But if you see here, you know he looks beat here. Mm-hmm. Hector can't use his stick in his right hand because he's too close to George Scott's horse. Uh, but he still he still toughs it out, and if it, if 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 we get the first fifty yards right, it, it might fall into place. Frankie Dottori rides him, so he's he, he's got enough of that kind of brazen pace to be able to 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 sit and travel. He broke very quick in the middle park. If you watch it back, mm. so we'll find out next. 
We'll and he, and he definitely makes it in. And he definitely makes, definitely it, makes in it in. Okay, Starlust in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint with Frankie Dettori aboard. Now, state occasion's a wild one to some, but the opera run was pretty good on fast ground that she needs. Rossa was really keen to ride a forward at, uh, at, uh, at Longchamp. I was less keen because I thought she'd be keen if we did that. As it turned out, I was wrong. Um, I, you know, she was the only one who got closest from midfield and only beaten two lengths. So um, I was keen to, to send her. It was really me who was, who was keen to send this one rather than anybody else. Um, she's owned by, or she's leased from um, her breeder uh, by a very sporting bunch, Compton Hellier, Darby Dennis, uh, and the like, um, Julia Scott, and so on, and uh, James Charrington. And so this is some, a, this is an adventure of a lifetime, really, isn't so, it? So yeah, they're all going. Some of them are going out, and uh, there's a bunch of them which should be great. So if it doesn't work, it's my fault. But that's okay. I can live with that. Now you're keen to send her, but I've been looking at this race, the Philly and Mare Turf, and there's no pace in it, save for Chad Brown's in Italian. You're not going to let him have a freebie in front, are you? No. So you'll be right, right there, out of the gate and near the speed. That's that will be that that will be my fervent hope. Depending on the draw, obviously, Nick. But that's what we'll uh, we'll certainly be riding and more positively. And the ground will be fine for her. Won't yeah. It? She'll like the ground. Yeah. And this is a filly who won over seven round Chelmsford. You know, as a four-year-old, she's got she doesn't lack pace. So. We'll see. So you go there slightly under the radar with both horses, but I can feel, I can feel a bit of that Muhanak hope. <laughs> I was wondering when he was going to come up. Uh, Always has to come up. Yeah, uh, yeah. She's in good shape, really okay. good shape. And when do you get out? I go tomorrow night. Excellent. Look forward to seeing you there. We look forward to seeing Ed Crisford there as well. The Crisfords have got a couple of really interesting runners. One of whom is Algiers in the Dirt Mile. The other, of course, is Carla's Way in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf. Uh, Ed's on the line now. Morning, Ed. I'm very well. Um, where do we find you this morning? I'm in Newmarket. I'm at the stables here. Um, yeah, going out on uh, Tuesday. Hello. OK, and the horses are in transit now, or have they... No, well, Algiers is already there, isn't he? No, no, he was he was back here. They, they flew yesterday. Um, they got in uh, early hours of this morning. Uh, both seem to have travelled really well. Les Reynolds is out there. Um, holding the ship, so yeah, no, they they both travel very well. So we'll see how they are tomorrow. I mean, you mentioned Les. I mean, he's had massive experience down the years. Spent a long time with uh, with John Gosden, of course, before formerly with the with the pipes before that. But how important is it to have a team that really understand the dynamics of travelling these horses and know exactly what they need and when they need to to have what they need? Well, well it's huge. I mean, you need you know you need to trust your team and. Someone like Les has been around the world at all, all the big race meetings around the world, and, and he just knows the score. And you know, you can just trust him with whatever he says, and um, and that's a huge part of it. And uh, you know, when he says they're travelling well, and, and and he looks after them great, and you know, it's it's a, it's, a, it's always a big team effort. Um, let's have a look back uh, on on Al Algiers' last run, and uh, this was Plan B. You just had to get a run into him, but this is not really what you wanted to do, go to Canada, was it? No, I mean, we were due to um, run an aqueduct in the Woodward, and 
there was just this huge storm in New York and the whole, all the streets were flooded. So the track was very sloppy and they, they moved it 24 hours, but we were just looking at the track and it just, you know, he had never run on a sloppy track and we just thought that it might just be a bit unsuitable for him and it just wouldn't play to his strengths. So we shipped him up to Toronto, it's just a van ride away, um, onto the Tapita and he trains on your weather here. So we thought it shouldn't be an issue. But the way the race played out, it was a it was a it was a bit of a disaster to be honest. Um, they went very very slow. There was no pace at all. He was caught in a bit of a pocket, and and you know it, it just the line came too soon. He never got there. But he had a run. That was the aim of the game. It was a long way to go for you know a bit of a racehorse gallop. But he he's come out of it great. He came back here. He's done really really well since. Um, so yeah, he's on target. And you're going to be taking on a, one of the highest profile horses of the, the entire fixture in Cody's Wish. You'll be taking on the, the Preakness winner, National Treasure as well. So a bit like Rafe, with this horse, you, you slightly fly under the radar. But on, on his Dubai form, do you think he's a big player? I, th I think he has to be as good as he was running in the World Cup or when he won those maximum challenges. He, ha he has to be as good to be competitive. Um, you know, if he can run to the, that sort of those form and those figures, I think he will. He will be in the mix. You know, who knows if he's going to take to the Santa Anita dirt like he did to Maidan? That's another question mark. But the style of racing should suit, should suit him really well. And just remind us who rides him. Ed? James Doyle will ride him. James, um, James Doyle rides him, yeah. and, and Carla's way in the in the Juvenile Police. Tournament. Yeah, he rides both of them. Yeah, uh, and Carla's way was brilliant last time in the in the Rockville. The form's taken a, a real boost. Have you been pleased with what you've seen from her in training since? Yeah, she looks fantastic. She's really sort of coming into, coming to herself this autumn. Um, you know, she won the Rockville extremely well, beating two. You know, the first and second second in the Phillies Mile. So there's good form there. But you know, we did, we, we opted not to go to the Phillies Mile really because. You know, the straight mile at this stage of her life might just catch her out of it. Um, plus the ground, she needs, you know, seriously quick surface. And we just felt that a two-time mile at Santa Anita would really play to her strengths and sue her down to the ground. So we opted for the Breeders' Cup and she's in great order. She seems to travel well and I think she's a, she's a filly. If she gets a good draw, and she gets a clean break. I think, again, she should, she should be very competitive. Really pleased that Dave and Rafe and I have been joined by the reigning champion, the employee of the year in the Godolphin Thoroughbred Industry Employee Awards, Sarah Guest from John O'Shea Stable. Sarah, great to see you again here. And what a year it's been. Have you, have you enjoyed carrying the mantle of employee of the year? Oh, loved it. And... It's just brought on so many new things and experiences that I never expected. It's been such an honour. I mean, I've had so many different things, with, like with the interviews, the TV crews coming into the yard, and racing post interviews, and then got to go to the Welsh Senate and meet all the Welsh Parliament. Just little old me and doing all these amazing things and sort of flying the flag for the small yards. It's been amazing. Tell me a little bit more about your, your trip to the Welsh Parliament and what you were speaking to them about. 
I got invited to go and just have a chat with them and um, have dinner, which was great. And I thought, oh, it'd be lovely to be other talkers, but it was just me speaking. And I couldn't believe it that everyone wanted to listen to what I had to say. They never had anyone from grassroots before, so they really appreciated my time and sort of listened to what I had to say. Talked a lot about the sort of training, personal development of the staff, something I'm really passionate and interested uh -huh. in. And they can see we need to do more sort of in the Welsh area to help with the staff and bring it on further. And so it was more about, you know, bringing people on and, and your sort of role in, in helping John nurture young talent as much as it was talking about the horses and what you do with the horses. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to sort of get across in our area, we need something extra. We need to be able to help and support the staff. I don't want to see racing as a job. I want to see it as a career, mm -hmm. something that people can really develop themselves into and find their path and their route into the racing sort of lifestyle. So in your experience, I know you've been you've been around the country in this in this role and indeed in this job. But in your experience, is it harder if you are not in a training centre as a, a member of staff coming through? For me, I, I see it harder from where we are, sort of in the middle of nowhere in Gloucestershire, for me to go and get my own personal development and training or to send staff off somewhere. It's four hours to get to Newmarket, four hours to get up to Doncaster. Just be nicer to have somewhere closer and they can go and do an afternoon course mm -hmm. rather than having to be off the yard for two days. They could just slip off there and do something for an afternoon. Just keep everybody developing and sort of improving. And that continuing education is something that you've been a big part of as well. Just tell us how that's manifested itself. I've really enjoyed it with the staff. I mean, we bringing in, I always try and find people local to us and sort of bring them in fresh into the racing and help them find their sort of route into it, what they want to do. Everyone wants to come in as the jockey and then you sort of realisations kick in and then you find them their route and their path. And I've found with um, the one girl we've got, Aisha Wilding, bless her, she's come in and she's been fantastic and within two years we've now got her amateur licence. So she's living the dream. Mm -hmm. And then we've got a new lad who's just come from Newmarket to us and um, we want to help him now find his route in the sort of racing industry and where he wants to go with it. And of course last year I know you turned up thinking well I work for John O'Shea, we've got two dozen horses, I've got zero shot of winning this, let alone actually winning the, the employee of the year. You had a massive table, all the staff were there and the celebrations were, were, pretty, were pretty insane weren't they? And yes. To what extent did your perception of the event and, and the industry change a little bit because you did actually come out on top. Well, I went in, we were up against two fantastic ladies from Big Yards and I said to the staff, I said, we're just going to go and enjoy the night. This is just such an honour to get this far and let's just enjoy ourselves and see what, you know, the night comes of it. I wasn't expecting anything. I, when I won the leadership one, I was over the moon delighted. We all had a little celebration on the table. And a, li John a little celebration. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a good celebration <laughs> on the table. And John the whole time, because John came up with us um, and said, he knew in his heart, he said, if you've won the leadership one, he felt I was going to win the overall thing. I never saw that. And I was over the moon with just winning the leadership award. Um, there are so many brilliantly skilled staff across so many different areas in the sport. It makes it a very, very difficult competition to to judge, but you're going to help us this year and next year. So you're in for the time being now. Do you know, know what you've let yourself in for? No, I don't, but I'm so excited. I really can't wait to see what happens sort of behind the scenes and see how uh, everyone's inspiration and their stories. Can't, uh, just talking to the newcomers last year was amazing, and I now get to read all their stories, all the nominations, uh, what's what they're doing out there and their stories behind what they've got into them into racing. What I love about it, Rafe, is that the, the, the trainers, but also the 
peers are incredibly passionate about the nominees that they put in. And obviously, not everyone can get to the final three and not everybody can win, but people put so much behind the nominations and, and really, really get behind it. I, I'm guessing you've got yours in already for not yet, Nick, November sure the 7th. Um, are you going to nominate this year? Yes, I'll nominate Good. some. Yeah. Excellent. And it, I know, because we've had this conversation before, that, it is, that it's frustrating if you don't get your, your, your people there, but I would urge you to keep trying. Yeah, I think we had uh, Adam Kite was um, was uh, got to the last three of the leadership award a few years back. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we've had we've had people there, um, and I'm sure hopefully we'll, we will again. And it's good to have a, a spread jumps flat, small yards, big yards, etc. What what do you make of Sarah's comments about the the geography of being a part of racing's workforce and you know, w w how we need to respond to the challenges of perhaps not being in the middle of Newmarket and not being in the middle of Lambourne and maybe being a, a little further out? I w I've always felt that it's, it's, it's really hard for those trainers who aren't in the centres who don't have accommodation. Mm -hmm. I think if you have, if you have accommodation uh, for staff... I think I, I've always felt that that's, that's the answer. Um, and it's certainly having trained at Whitsby, which, which is about as remote as it gets, um, we concentrated on it there and have tried to... Now we're a bit closer to the action at Kempton. And um, th that, for me, is, 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 is cru the crucial part. And the pastoral care as well, mm. obviously. We have somebody who um, looks after all the combination, cooks for them, and uh, makes sure that the younger ones are heading in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And that, that has made the difference for us in the last 15 years, certainly. So if you are not within a, a training centre, you have to create your own community, really. You can't just say, yeah, fine, come in, do your three, off you go, come in again tomorrow, wash, rinse, repeat, and no support. You have to create that network. That's absolutely right. You know, it, it, it doesn't work if you don't. And, you know, the, the, uh, the big trainers who aren't in the, in the centre are all of that mind. So, Sarah, how, how are you approaching the game differently to how you were a year ago? You've got more responsibility. You're looked at as a, as a role model. What are, what are your plans now? Yeah, my day-to-day -day stuff is still the same, mm -hmm. um, bar the interviews and things that haven't but the staff want now what I've had. They all inspire and want to sort of achieve the same things. Um, I'm trying to sort of help them more now and get them the extra training um, that they can get. We've been fantastic with the um, personal development programme. They've come out and done some with the horse box and done some training sessions with them. And I just want to help them achieve their goals and sort of aspire because they want to do, have the same that I've had and I want to help them sort of achieve it best and if, I can. If we dial it all the way back, can you still remember now why it is that you decided to do the job that you're doing? The love of the horses. It is the love of the horses and that's what sort of got me up every morning, come rain or shine. I want to be out there. I want to be with the horses and training them and enjoy it. But the more I've done the role now, I really want to help the staff. That is so important to me to see them develop and get their training and progress and sort of find their path and enjoyment that I've had. I want the same for them. And do you feel optimistic in that respect? Do you feel like the sport can offer young people uh, a bright future? 
Yes, and um, but the the problem where I found with where we are, we've had really struggles with staff. We've just been able to find staff to come in and do the job. We went through our first time ever of a sort of a struggle for about three months. We were really down on numbers. It's all picked up again now, and everything's going really well. Mm. We've got staff back behind us, and I want to make sure now that we keep them and we give them all the training and development that they need. But there is everything's there for them. They've got to want to grab it with both hands as well. I and think I COVID did really take a big hit on the industry. Uh, how are you finding it, Rafe, in terms of employment and retention at the moment, sort of relative to where we've been through the last few years with COVID? I know Brexit was a big issue, and I know the sport's been working quite closely with government to sort that out. Yeah, we're, we're fine, Nick. You know, we've had a good time of it. Mm. Um, you know, getting racing put back on the shortage occupation list will change everything. Yeah. Thing I would always, the thing that I would always stress, and I hope Sarah agree is here, is that being a stable lad is, or, or, or being, a st being a groom in a, st in a racing yard is great fun. You know, it's a great way of, of life. You know, uh, it, so it's not for everybody after the age of 35. But from school leaving age to 35, you couldn't ha want a better way of life. It is terrific fun. Uh, my next guest has had a glorious life and career in the sport, encompassing two and a half decades as a trainer in Newmarket, and for much of that time, one of the leading trainers in Newmarket as well, at a couple of its uh, leading and most recognisable stables. Uh, after that, he was a key figure in a developing period for the Thoroughbred Breeders Association, and he has just written a memoir, which is going to be published and available on November the 1st. Welcome to the show, Gavin Pritchard-Gordon. Gavin, lovely to see you. Thank you very much, Nick. I have to say, it comes as quite a surprise at my age to be saying that I'm about to publish a book, I have to say. Uh, you say at my age, but as Bruff Scott quite, uh, states, quite rightly states in the forward, it's one thing to think about writing a book, it's another thing to actually get down and do it yes. and write it. And it chronicles in, in great depth so many fascinating chapters of your life. Uh, and you've done it. How does it feel to have, to have finished? I, I'm absolutely thrilled and I have to say very excited. Because it has been, it's, it's been hard graft, I have to say, and I've written it all in longhand, which you might, might think rather strange. But uh, to have actually done it, I can't wait for Tuesday to get the first book from Amazon, and then Thursday, all being well, it'll actually go online for people to be able to buy it through Amazon. So, so for those who, who can't quite intuit why, why follow your leader? Right, well, it was, it was actually quite, quite simple because I took over the stable mm. from Harvey Leader. So I thought that Follow Your Leader was probably quite a catchy, catchy title. And for a very good reason, because he was a wonderful man, Harvey Leader. And, and it strikes me that, that you, you're not someone who meticulously planned your career, but when opportunities came, you you went for them. Would that be would that be fair? Well, it, it, it's actually totally fair because the first chapter is is, is actually entitled "What It Might Have Been." <laughs> this is if you had got into Oxford. Well, that's it because I have to say that I was passionate about racing from a very young age, but I never ever thought that I'd get actively involved in it. And what actually happened was that I was going to Oxford, hopefully, to read law. 
and my headmaster said to me, I think you ought to go to Christchurch because you're quite a good rugby player and you could get a rugby blue. And he said, I was at the college and I think you ought to go. So, so you were a shoo-in, you were considered a shoo-in well, for Christchurch. Well, he, he, he thought, my parents thought I w it was fait accompli. Yeah. I went to the interview and I don't mind saying it was an absolute disaster. The headmaster had said to me it was tea and crumpets in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the dean's office. Um, as it turned out, I went, up, I went up the stairs from the cloisters into the library at Christchurch and there was a great big long table. In front of me was a little man with an American accent, which seemed rather strange. He called himself the Dean because I was led to believe that the Dean was a great friend of my headmaster. That was a bit of a shock. New Dean. That, that, that was a bit... <laughs> new Dean, new, new dean. broom. Yes, Your rugger credentials were irrelevant it, it at this would point. Have been, it would have been handy if the headmaster had known there'd been a change, but mm. there we go. I was grilled by by chap down the far end of the table about my English paper and then grilled by somebody who actually done the same to my history paper. And then the, the little dean opposite me, now I realised who he was, he said, Mr Pritchard Gordon, what do you want to do when you come to this university? I thought, aha, this is my big chance. I said, um, I want to get a rugby blue because this is a games playing college and I want, to, I want to do just that. He said, Mr Pritchard Gordon, that is the end of this interview. Behind you there is a door. <laughs> he said, we need people with academia in this college. Goodbye and thank you. Fancy that. I know. So uh, at that stage, I was so upset, you wouldn't believe. I was so demoralised. And I, I went back home to my parents. And my father, I, I'm, I'm a dad, my father was a young, a young officer in the, in the Royal Marines. He came out of the Royal Marines a full major, age 22, at the end of the war. And when I came back, there was the champagne on the table, and we were going to have a party because I'd, I'd done the interview and I was about to go to Oxford. I said, Dad, you can put that away. Uh, what do you mean? He said, it was a fait accompli. That they hadn't. I said, I'm sorry, I failed it. He said, you failed the interview. I said, yes, I failed the interview. He couldn't believe it. You write very affectionately your fa about your father in the book, though, in, 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 in quite a surprising way, I thought, because you, you describe him as a man who left the Marines age 22 as a major, and, and you think, well, my goodness me, he's going to be some terrifying, austere character who's incredibly strict. But you, you write about him with an awful lot of yeah. love and affection. He did. He was a wonderful... Don't get me wrong. He was a wonderful father, and he had just that. He had love and affection for his children, mm. but he was tough. Mm. And, you know, you don't come out of the Royal Marines age 22 a full major without yeah. being a pretty tough, successful man. So it was a question of what are you going to do now? And you, you loved racing. And he encouraged you maybe to, to be a racing journalist, and you were part of the, well, the famous he, BBC well, interview. What, what he actually said, if I could just backtrack for a second, he just said, right, Gavin, what are you going to do in your life? I said, I don't know, Dad. He said, well, you better make up your mind which was not a great help. He said, what do you like? So I said, I love horse racing. He said, right. He said, um, what are you going to do in horse racing? He said, well, you write quite well. You wrote for the school magazine about horse racing. Why don't you write to a couple of sports editors on London newspapers and see what happens? So I wrote off to two and got a, a reply from Bill Hicks, the, the, the sports editor of the Daily Mail, amazingly asking me to go for an interview. So I went the following week, and that all went very well. And he said, Gavin, um, I'd like you to come back next week and 
meet my racing staff and then we'll go from there. I said, I can't. I'm going to hospital to have an eye operation and I can have bandages around my head for a week. He said, where are you having the operation? I said, in Bart's hospital. He said, that's round the corner from Fleet Street. I'll come and see you every night and I will read the sports page of the Daily Mail and the Sporting Life to you. Anyway, he did just that. What a lovely man. And he, on the last day, had the bandages off and he said, how did it go? I said, I've been given a very, very good report. He said, well, I've got more to add because I'm going to have you on my sports desk to write about racing. But you've got to do three things. First of all, you are to go on a, on a local newspaper to learn. You're only 18. You've got to learn about journalism. So I went to the Mid-Sussex Times for a year. And then he said, the second thing is I want you to go to France because our competitors on the Daily Express, Peter Ed Sullivan and Clive Graham, speak fluent French, and you must as well. So I went to France and I worked for my father's shipbreaking office as Marine. And the third thing you're going to do is to go to Newmarket to learn about racing from the inside. So I did the first two. And I sent a letter to five Newmarket trainers, and I got a letter back, only one, from Harvey Leader. And that's how it all basically started. So it was all being the right place at the right time, I suppose. And actually, I, I must just add, the interview, the interview mm. with Harvey Leader, because it's quite funny, that he told me to be in Newmarket at Starfleet. Uh, it was the Craven meeting on the Tuesday. He said, be in at there at 6 o'clock after racing in my office. So I knocked on the door, and he didn't answer. He knocked again, he didn't answer. And I saw two elderly gentlemen by the fire in their racing suits, and I recognised Harvey Lee, and I knocked again, and the old boy came, he said, what do you want? And I said, um, you wrote to me, and said I could... I didn't. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he shuts the door. So I, I think, to hell with that, I'm going to try again. At that stage, I had his letter in my pocket. So I'm not, he said, I told you to go. I said, Mr. Leader, there is, my, is the letter you wrote to me. Oh, he said, you better come in. So he and Lord Willoughby de Brooke were the other ones. They were, discussing, they were discussing plans for their horse. He said, go and sit over there. So I went and sat over there until 7 o'clock. And he, Harvey Leader, didn't actually live in Sharfleet. He lived at Denston Hall about 12 miles, ago, miles away. So he just said to me, he said, um, come see me in the morning at 7 o'clock and don't be late like that. So he and Lord Willoughby, off they went. And the next day, I went and stayed in the pub, got back at 7 o'clock. And down the drive came Harvey Lee and Lord Willoughby in the little grey mini. And they, they stood by the, by the rails look, and didn't take any notice to me at all. The horses go off and they were back. I thought, this is my last chance. <laughs> I said, Mr. Leader, I said, it's, this is the letter. Oh, he said, right. He said, OK. He said, well, do you drive? And I said, yes. He said, well, get in a driver. So I drove Harvey Leader and Lord Willoughby de Brooke out to the, the gallows. And I obviously did something because I came back and had breakfast. And then and did second it. lot and then came back. And then it was a glass of champagne. Thank you very much for driving us. What do you want to do? And I said, I just want to be with you for one year, Mr. Leader. He said, that's fine. Start on Monday.
Perfect. It's perfect. And, of course, this had an amazing outcome because there were a series of sliding doors moments in this period, but the most significant one was that he called you in and said, just as you were about to embark on a, a new adventure, and said, no, you, you're going to take over from me and we're going to swap places when the, when the licence changed. And he then got sick and you, you had to be called well, back that to do actually, it. Again, to backtrack, sorry, Nick, but I did my year... I'm short-circuiting him. here, Gavin, you yeah, can see. Right, OK, he did my year... As I, I did my year, and at the end of it, I had to go and see—I had to go and see Harvey Leader and tell him that I was going to the Daily Mail. Mm. He said, "What are you talking about? You never told me that." I said, yeah. "I said I'm starting there next week." He said, "You're not." I said, "Sorry." He said, "You're taking over my stable in five years' time." I talked to Mrs. Leader about it while we were in South Africa, and that is what happened. I'm trying to imagine the modern day parallel, which is David Yates being told that in order to get his job at the Daily Mirror, he has to go to France because his co um, counterpart on the, on the Sun speaks French, um, that he has to go and work for one of the local papers, and then he has to go and be assistant trainer to one of the new market trainers. Like, I'm just imagining you walking in and one of the great grandees of new market saying, no, you can't go back to the Mirror, David. You're taking <laughs> over from me. It's, it's not going to happen in this era. What did Bill Hicks say when he rang the mail? Well, do you know what? I, I actually wrote to him and, and, you know, he couldn't have been nicer. He just said, I'm terribly sorry that you're not going to be able to come on the baby list, but I wish you the best of luck as a trainer. And he, we, he said, keep in touch, which we did. And he couldn't have been nicer about the whole thing. He's a charming man. So there could have been a very different response <laughs> there <laughs> after. Was it, was it three years... A year in France, a year on the Mid-Sussex Times, and a year in Newmarket. Yes, and I was meant to go to him to start the following week. Yeah. I but mean, he couldn't have been more charming about it. I think this is a, a much more worthwhile tripos than the one that you would have enjoyed if, you, if that dean, if, uh, the pesky dean at Oxford had, had let you into the varsity. I do want to hear about this BBC interview, though, because you were, you were in, in part of that infamous group that included <laughs> Julian Wilson. Well, I was, because... I was then in France, actually, working for Asmarine. And somebody said to me, there's a job being advertised in the sporting life for BBC television correspondents, and you ought to apply. So I wrote off. I thought there was no reason why I shouldn't apply. So I wrote and amazingly got a letter back from the BBC, come for an interview next week. Expenses paid from Paris, which was very nice, thank you. So I went, and um, that seemed to go OK. And they wrote to me again when I got back to Paris and said, we'd like you to come again. Mm. So I did, and at that stage I obviously pleased the judges because I was then put on the final six for the people that were going to go for a day at Newbury on the Friday of Newbury when the BBC were only doing live on Saturday, mm -hmm. but they, they had us six. Um, do a dummy do, run. Dummy run, and yeah. Everything, yeah. And um, I, I'll try and get this right, but uh, there was Jack Milan, mm -hmm. David Phillips, Tim Richards, and now you're going to be surprised about this one, Michael Stout. Michael Stout, yeah. And Julian Wilson. Okay, well, I obviously didn't do too bad in my, grand, in my grandstand one, because it seemed okay. Then I did a paddock commentary, and then uh, I went to my actual commentary on the race and by this stage it was a very cold foggy afternoon at Newbury and there was a, a stewards inspection as to whether they can go on racing and I remember climbing up the little stairs to go to the commentary box to to meet Peter <laughs> Sullivan who was going to look after me 
while I did my commentary. And as I got, as I got to the top of the stairs, he said, which is lovely, he said, I'm Peter O'Sullivan. It was, I mean, it was a wonderful thing. How wonderful for me to be actually talking to him. And he said, um, the good news is that racing is going to go ahead. He said, the bad news is that visibility is 200 yards and you're going to have to do that through the, through the monitor. So being a, a young mug, I said, what's a monitor? He said, a monitor is that little screen in the corner. He said, you've got to do that. And then once they get into the straight and go to the last fence, you pick your, binoc bin your binoculars up and you take them from there to the winning post and then announce the first and the second. And it was 19 runners in a novice chase at Newbury. And bearing in mind, I'd been in France. I didn't know the form of the horses very well. So um, anyway, as they come into the straight and go to the last fence, I get my binoculars and I, I did what I thought was a very exciting commentary. And as they passed the place, I dun 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 dun, and first and so second on the stand, so, and I put my glasses away. And Peter Solomon said, "Gammy, that was absolutely brilliant." And I thought, oh. "He says, is there any one, one problem?" He said, "The horses you've called first and second haven't finished yet." <laughs>